So this morning we'll be reading from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, which is on page 1,220 in the Blue Bibles. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great memory, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith in heaven, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, through now, through, though now for a little, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that you have proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, through, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to him that they who were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told by you, by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Hi everyone. It's good to be back. Thank you to everyone who welcomed me and asked me if it's my first time here. That was uh, hilarious. It's good to be back. Uh, and um, if I haven't met you before or um, you're here for the first time today or in the last few weeks when I haven't been here, it's wonderful to meet uh, you at the door and um, I look forward to catching up with you after the service as well. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to opening up 1 Peter with you over the coming weeks. Um, it's fantastic um, challenges to us and how we live in this world. And so that's what we're going to be uh, starting off with today. And so um, uh, why don't I pray... Um, and then, and then we'll uh, get into it. Uh, before I do that too, though, um, as um, Tim mentioned, we'll have a, a question time. You can also, in that question time, ask about what's happening. Um, we've got some big things happening in the coming month um, about our move and all those kind of things. So I'd love you to feel free to ask, text me, um, or write it down on the communication cards in whatever way as well uh, for that. But why don't we turn our attention to God's word and ask Him now uh, to. Uh, pierce it into our hearts and minds. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can come together as your people. Uh, we can come together to consider life um, in your family 
um, in a world that is very different uh, to living for you. And so we do pray uh, today, not only today, through this series in 1 Peter, we will think uh, thoughtfully on his words as he uh, seeks to encourage uh, those in Asia Minor to live uh, for your son in the light of suffering. Amen. Now, an outline, if you've got one on page uh, 7 there, will be helpful, um, as we'll be following that in um, actually exactly today, which is sometimes a surprise, I know, (laughs) Um, but we are today. Now, let me ask you, let me ask you, have you ever been stuck in the middle of something? Like, you're just caught between two options and you don't know what to do. Yes? Yes? No, I'm not singing the song Corolla. Um, <laughs> yes, stuck, being stuck in the middle of things. Whether you're at work, right, and you've got a decision to make and you know both options are going to cause you a problem in some way. It's just a different problem. Uh, whether you're at school and you've got friends that are divided and you're in the middle and they're both wanting you to say that the other person's wrong. Or whether it's HSC time and you're thinking, I'm almost done and I just want to party, but I probably should study. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. I've been on the East Coast the last three weeks. It just kind of happened. Sorry. Sace, thank you. The year 12 thing. Um, We all get stuck in the middle in all sorts of different ways, right? That is kind of often what life is like. What Peter is doing in this book is he's pointing out that for Christians, we are kind of living between two worlds. We live as God's people, as a new family, with an eternal home, but we live in this world that rejects that eternal home. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you actually live between two worlds? Because we don't just end up being hermits, that's not the option. Um, I think you all knew that. We don't go and hide in some uh, monastery of old times and live away from the world. We live in the world. So how do we do it? That is what we're going to be dealing with over the coming weeks as we look at 1 Peter. How do we not be stuck in the middle, but live in light of our new, um, our new family, our new eternal home? And so to do that, what we want to do is we want to understand who Peter is and who he's writing to. And so right from the beginning, we, we, we get an idea of who Peter is by remembering that Peter was one of the first disciples of Jesus, one of the big followers of Jesus. If you, if you didn't know the story, uh, he becomes the key leader in the beginning of the early church. In Matthew's Gospel, the story of Jesus' life in Matthew, when uh, this guy named Simon, as his name was, identifies Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus says to him in Matthew 16, you will be Kephas, Peter, the rock, because I'm going to build my church on you. You are going to be the key leader at the beginning of the church starting. This guy is super important in the beginning of the church. And then when we find the church starts in Acts, the first 10 chapters, we see Peter having a central role. Now, by the by, just as a side point, nowhere in Matthew's Gospel or anywhere in in the New Testament does it say, you're Peter going to be the first rock and then there's going to be a succession of rocks after you, a succession of leaders after you. He is the rock, 
but there's no promise of future leaders like popes. That's just not in the, in the New Testament. But Peter is, though. We don't want to undermine it. He is the leader in that sense. And so Peter had this job in Jerusalem to talk to all the Jews and, 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 and to convert them to not just Abraham's family, but Abraham's family is about Jesus' family. But then he went off into Rome and his, his ministry um, years later went beyond that into uh, preaching in Rome and being in, in uh, that centre part, the, the world power of the time in Rome. And he, and, and he realised that there was a whole bunch of churches in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, who were dealing with trying to live as Christians in a world that didn't want them to be, that they were facing persecution and suffering. And so he writes this letter. He gets a guy, Silvanus, that we see at the end of the letter to, to help him, who writes it, and it, but it's what Peter wants to be said, to write this letter to all of those churches to encourage them to live following Jesus because of the hope they have in light of their suffering. It's a great letter then because that's how we need to think. And so it's worth us pursuing in our minds, how do we actually want to uh, live in light of what Jesus has done for us? And we see it's about um, suffering. Let me just highlight to you a couple passages. There's no um, uh, uh, things on the screen today. Um, but if you got one Peter in front of you, it'd be really helpful because... These uh, few little uh, verses give us a good kind of indication to what Peter's on about. We go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He says in verse 12, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. How are you going to live when others think that you're ridiculous? He says in chapter 3, verse 16, as we see there, he goes on to say, let me read from 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You say a certain way of living is wrong and people mock you. You still live in a certain type of way. He wants them to think about how you live in light of the hope that we have. And so in chapter 4, verse 16, we get another little snippet um, into that where he says in verse 16, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Peter is concerned that when Christians are dealing with suffering, and it can be in all sorts of different ways, maybe for many of them it was their life was in danger, that's probably not what we're facing right now. But in all sorts of ways of hostility and harassment, how are you going to deal with it? And so if you're a follower of Jesus, 1 Peter has a lot to speak to you. If you're not sure where you are with God or you're really young in your faith, what 1 Peter does, it clarifies for you what does it mean to be a Christian and helps you consider, should I be actually on board with that? Should I identify as a Christian? Should I follow Jesus? And for new Christians, it helps us understand how am I going to reshape my life? Because being a Christian isn't about saying, yeah, I follow Jesus and then don't change anything. And so that's where we're heading. And so as we look at the beginning of 1 Peter, he, he says hello, basically. 
Have a look with me at the beginning of 1 Peter. He says, To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. He says to all these churches, you are God's chosen ones, God's exiled ones. What he actually does, he uses Old Testament descriptions of Abraham and the Israelites and what we see throughout the letter, which we'll continue to pick up, is that he intentionally uses that identification for all the Christians. Because what he's showing them is that all of, uh, all of people who identify with Jesus are part of Abraham's family. And so he intentionally uses the chosen, the exiled, to identify those who identify with Jesus. He's wanting them to see that they belong to God. So what do you do if you belong to God and you're dealing with suffering? What do you do? Well, he starts off with kind of a song of praise. He says, you should have praise to God. What type of people should all of us be? What type of people should Christians be? We should be praising people. And so um, the rest of this, uh, this section, I think we can see, it's kind of like a song of praise. It, it kind of points us to wanting to express that. And we're going to sing a song uh, that Men in Boats wrote um, after the talk, Living Hope, which highlights from this passage. We are a people who praise God because we have been born again with a living hope. What Peter does, he shows us that we have a new family. That doesn't mean that your actual family that maybe you're here with today or isn't it, that you, you, you don't like them anymore, but this is your real family, right? Your new family with a brand new identity. Now, we identify ourselves in all sorts of ways, but this identity trumps them all. And above all of that is the hope that we have. It is a brand new hope and it's all centred around Jesus. And so if you have this family, you have this identity, you have a new hope, you actually can deal with suffering in how it comes to you. And there's something very strange that you can only understand if you believe in this hope and you get it. That the suffering, in a paradoxical kind of way, is good in that it helps us strengthen our faith. The suffering's not good, but the outcome of our faith being shown to be genuine is very good. And that's kind of what suffering does, that Peter wants us to truly understand. So let's see this play out in the following verses. Verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter starts off by saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a new birth. You have been born into this world in a metaphorical kind of way, something even far greater and profound is happening. 
you have been made alive completely again in him. This birth you have now doesn't last. That birth in Jesus is a living hope that goes on into eternity. How spectacular is that promise? If you're wondering why bother with Christianity, it's because that's the offer. So let's understand what that means a bit. The first question I want to ask is, why did Jesus give us this? Why did God give us hope? Well, verse 3, in his great mercy. Mercy is the reason why our God has given us a new birth. Did you know that? Mercy, compassion for those who are in desperate need. Have you been in desperate need of something? A job? Uh, a friend? Uh, the ability to take in a lot of things into your mind for uh, being a parent, to uh, figure out what the next thing in your life is going to be. You need desperate guidance. We have all these things that we desperate need, or sometimes we have desperate need just to have medical attention straight away. That if we don't get the medical attention straight away, our first birth ends. God, out of his mercy, his compassion, gives us new birth because we're in desperate need of it. See, it's not only our first birth where we lose life. Without God's compassion, we're lost completely. You and I cannot be in a relationship to a holy God. There is nothing we can do about it. He's holy. Next week is all about holiness. If you flip the page in the outline, you see, be holy. It's that old blunt, right? We're going to see God's holy and he wants us to be holy. But we can't do that because we are so unholy. The only way it's possible is by the mercy and compassion of God. Mercy and compassion to those who can do nothing about it. Have you thought that through? That that's the character of God? That He's so loving, so gracious to you, that He sees your desperate need and He wants to be merciful. God is merciful, full of compassion. But this idea is not just a Christian notion that we hold to. The, the world out there kind of gets in some kind of way that Jesus is seen to be that kind of guy, that he's kind and compassionate. And it's come to us, <coughs> excuse me, it's come to us this week in a very controversial way as uh, the world has used Jesus uh, uh, for its own ends in a way this week. Has anyone seen the or heard about the ad campaign for organ donation? Many people heard it, seen about it. Let me fill you in if you haven't. Um, and it's worth going and watching a two-minute ad campaign. Organ donation's a good thing, right? Maybe you think that, maybe you don't, I don't know. But organ donation is something that uh, people people need. And the organ donation group decided, we want to think about the most compassionate person that's ever ever lived and asked him, would he give his organs? And so they got Jesus on a cross. 
they got the centurions and in, in a kind of uh, trying to be comedic way, asked Jesus, hey, while you're there, before you die, have you considered being an organ donor? It's interesting. It's interesting, isn't it? The world has seen that Jesus is considered to be compassionate and then asked, uh, uh, used it for marketing ends on uh, organ donation. Uh, I'm going to reflect on that a bit more um, during the talk, uh, but I think it's worth us pointing out at this point that Jesus' compassion goes far beyond the notion of him being kind. His compassion goes to the point where he gives up his life for us. Not an organ, his whole body. That is the kind of compassionate God we have. So, he gives us mercy. How does Jesus give us new birth then? We know he gives it, um, it, it's because he's merciful, but if we read on the next little bit, what do we see? And he's given us uh, great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So you're going to die and your hope, I mean, whatever it is in life, will fade. You hope to be successful. You hope that... Uh, you, maybe your family thrives. It could be all sorts of things. You can fill in the gap. Let me just throw some out. You hope that you'll um, climb up the ladder in your workplace. You hope that you'll en- enjoy great holidays. You hope that you'll um, be able to get uh, this. That You hope that you'll be able to spend time with your friends. You hope that um, you fill it out. We have hope in lots of different things. But they stop when we stop. But because of his mercy, Jesus dies in your place. Just just consider that. God wants to wants you to be newly born, that he is willing to become flesh, die in your shoes. That's what he's done. But if that's where it ended, it also stops there. It, it stops there. But as we see throughout all the, the New Testament, the one thing that we must always hold to is what Peter brings right up front. Your hope is because it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. That means he has conquered death. That means that us who should die can now have life. That's why we talk about new birth, because we have new life, but this new life goes on forever. Can you see why in verse 3 at the beginning he says, Praise be to the God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, because this is what he's done. It is spectacular. He has conquered death and he hasn't done it for a time. He has conquered death not for himself because he would never die. He chose to die in our place. Consider the magnitude of this compassion. The God of the universe, the God who sustains the universe, the God 
who gives every breath you have, the breath you've just taken, he gives. The holy God steps into our unholiness. So you and I can have hope. And he can do that because he has all power to conquer death. And so we have a living hope because Jesus is not dead. Now, you may ima- you could imagine that this organ donation um, promo was quite controversial and lots of Christians are outraged. Uh, and, and so the director got interviewed and he said, look, the intent was not to offend. I think probably it was because he knew that's how you get good publicity. But, but forget that. The, the intent was to ask the most kindest person who ever lived... If he was alive today in 2018, would he give his organs? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? It's the dumbest question in the world. If he was alive today, he has risen from the dead. Jesus is not dead. He has risen. The whole intended premise of the actual video was completely flawed because Jesus is living. He ascended, as we see at the beginning of Acts. Jesus is that powerful. He is living. Have you considered that? So then, we know why he's given us new life, because of his mercy. We know how, through his death and resurrection, what does this new birth and living hope provide? We'll have a look. A resurrection from Jesus Christ from the dead, end of verse 3 and then verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You and I, what do we get? We get an eternal inheritance. That is, you have been given an inheritance from the person who is the most richest, God himself. Jesus, who has owns everything, right? It's all his. And what you get with his new life as a child of his is life with him forever. There is nothing more valuable. Life with him forever where there is no pain or suffering or death. The things that we'd love to have happen now, he's promising us. That's our inheritance. Does that not fill you with joy and excitement and longing for it? You see, the thing is, though, we're in between two worlds, aren't we? Because that's not what we're experiencing now. We cling to it. We hold to it. But it says it's stored up for us. It's in heaven. The new creation is coming, but it's not here now. Salvation, the end fulfillment of it is coming. Jesus will return. Everything will be made like that perfect and new with him but we're not there yet and so we have hope that's why he talks about hope because we're hoping for that not lotto hope not a blind wishful it's probably not going to happen but i hope it happens i'll hope i win the lottery a assured hope a certain hope we live in two worlds where there is suffering now but looking beyond to a time where there's no suffering. Can I ask you to do something? 
Think about times in your life where you have suffered the most. I'm sorry for bringing up painful things, but I think it's good for us. It may be things that have happened personally to you, around you, or you may be living it right now. And then think about how desperately you'd love to not be in that place right now. The promise of Jesus in this new family is that it's coming and it will never come back. That's what we long for. And Peter goes on to talk about suffering in the context of, as you face it, for being a Christian. But don't we long for that? And so in verses 6 to 9, he just says, rejoice even though you suffer now. He says, now look at verse 6 and 7, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Suffering will happen now in all types. We may be persecuted more and more for our stance on what we think about how Jesus says we should live. I think it's very likely. More and more, we're going to be challenged to soften our approach. But, why is it why should we not? Because it gives us an opportunity to say, actually, I love Jesus. I trust in him. Now, I can tell you, I trust in Jesus. I hope you believe me. As your pastor, it's probably a good thing I do that, right? Or what am I doing here? Right? <laughs> that would be stupid. You could say to me, I trust in Jesus. And I'm going to believe you. And encourage you to live it out as, I, as I'm seeking to live it out. We want to do that. But when do we truly know that what we say is reality? When we can't sit on the fence anymore. When you've actually got to make a decision. Your faith grows because you can't just make it head knowledge. You've got to live it out. What if... What if someone came in now and said, everyone in this room, you have to reject Jesus, I'm going to blow up the building. That's a stupid analogy, isn't it? But is it? What would you do? If you say, well, I'm still going to trust in Jesus, your faith has been proven genuine. Is that what you're willing to do for him? But actually, in the real realities of life, we have little moments, don't we, where we can decide to trust in him in what we do. There's much more to say in 1 Peter. I could go on and on in these um, opening verses. But I think I'm going to stop there because I want us to reflect on what it means for us. um, There's three points on your outline and I've added a fourth one to finish off. Firstly, how do we live between the the two worlds? You can only do it if you embrace the living hope. Can I encourage you not to try and do the tragic thing that some people try and do sometimes, whereas they try and live as a Christian without actually trusting in Jesus saving them? 
that they try and earn their salvation and live as a Christian, it's disastrous. What's the point? First of all, embrace the living hope you have by accepting God's mercy to you. Acknowledge that you can do nothing, that you're unholy. Trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for you and embrace his new family first. I said at the beginning, if you're not a Christian, one Peter gives you a good insight in what it means to live out as a Christian. The first thing is, is to decide whether Jesus did die and rise for you and whether you're going to live for, uh, live for him trusting that he did that. If you do that, that living hope is now yours and cannot be taken away from you. And if you're in that boat today, today's as good a day as any to embrace it. At the very least, if you're not sure, it's to continue to wrestle with what does this mean and whether I should. But can I encourage you not to just walk out the door and think, oh, that was nice, and then move on. Secondly, though, it'd be, it, how strange would it be, I wonder, if we read these words and went, yeah, that's good, Jesus is giving me living hope, new birth, yep, okay, I believe that. I'm gonna, I'm, when, when my faith is tested, I'm going to stick with him, yep, that's good, I'm going to do that. And you genuinely do all that, but you're not happy about it, <laughs> that you don't rejoice in it. That's kind of just ridiculous. What things in your life are you happy about? What things do you enjoy? That's not a rhetorical question, actually. Tell me things you enjoy in your life. Wow, nothing. <laughs> I've got work to do. <laughs> what did it? Sorry? Food. So when you eat, when you go out to a restaurant and you eat a meal, do you eat it and go, this is really, um, this is really enjoyable? Or do you go, oh my goodness, this is the nicest tasting thing I've ever had? For Jen's, uh, Jen's 40th, we went out to this restaurant in, um, in the city, this really fancy restaurant, and it was ridiculous food. It was so good. And I spent the whole time just kind of groaning and moaning in the enjoyment of it, right? It was so good. Because I was rejoicing in it. I express it. What other things do you enjoy? Sorry? Move on. No, what other things? <laughs> the crows. So what do you do when they win, Sharon? Yes. <laughs> you don't go, that was good. I'm happy. But you get happy about it, right? The point's made. We could go on and on. You know. So the best thing in your life, right, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that you have eternal life with him and Peter's saying you rejoice. It's, do we? Do we not get excited by it? Do we not rejoice? Do we not sing heartfelt? ways do we not actually think about how in my life am i going to express it in my personality but are we not going to truly rejoice sometimes it's not with the over excited exuberance because we still should rejoice when we are facing massive suffering we can rejoice while we're dealing with just inexplicable death We can rejoice even when the life we live seems completely broken. I have no job and I don't know how to feed my family. We can rejoice even when you feel broken. Your health is failing. You can't control the way you're thinking and feeling. And you can rejoice when everything is good. 
I had to pick myself up on holidays in one of those times when I was having an everything is good time and for a few days I haven't reflected on how good God is in this holiday and this is the most amazing place I've literally ever been in my life and it was so good and I was did not give God a thought that is just as ridiculous as not rejoicing in the tough times re-rejoice Maybe that's the thing you need to be challenged by today. Thirdly, this is just a quick preface for the rest of the book. We need to understand suffering comes and we prepare for it. Jesus suffered far greater than anything you faced and he didn't deserve it. If we have that at the front of our minds, when all sort of inexplicable suffering comes, we're in a better place to deal with it. We have eternal hope. We need to keep on coming back to eternity. It's not an excuse. It's not a way of fake dealing with it. It's not all the answers either, by the way, but it is actually how we prepare to deal with suffering. And I want to suggest to you that we embrace Peter's theology on suffering in this book. Now, as you know, if you've been coming to Grow for a while, we don't just gloss over God's word or not look at it in depth. We want to really invest in it because I think that's what God wants us to do. That we should use our minds. We should embrace song and rejoice and spend those times together. And we should spend times when we do the hard work of opening up his word. Because if we do that, we're far better prepared for life. And in this context, how we deal with this world and the suffering we face. So I want to encourage you to embrace yourself in these words. We understand suffering when it comes Um, if we're prepared. And the fourth point I want to add is that we respond well to the other world we live in by highlighting what matters. And I think actually, this is where I want to come back to that organ donation uh, video. It's a classic example of being in a world that's in between two worlds. The other world sees Jesus as kind of a nice guy and uses him for his own means. The overwhelming Christian reaction has been absolute outrage. Most often in the commentary, people say, oh, if it was Muhammad, there'd be, you know, fires on the streets. Why did they get to do it to Jesus? Now, that may be true, may not be true. But should that be our first reaction? There's no doubt, I think, that actually Jesus has been treated poorly in that video. He is a holy God. Now, we've talked about this before, he's been coming to Grove, that he's so holy that in, in the Bible, people who are in his presence, they fall down as though dead. Isaiah couldn't get near him. You see John in Revelation. We can't even get to him because he's so holy. And then we mock him in a, joke, in, a, in, a, in a funny way. It's so far from that, right? But the thing is, I think that's the wrong starting point for engaging with this uh, whole video. That may all be true. But surely, as Peter's pointing out, the whole point to life and dealing with this world is that people need to see that they need to be born again, that they need living hope. And the question that's raised is, would Jesus give organ donation? I think a far better way to think about it is, this is a great opportunity to talk about Jesus. And I can't help but think, is to say, actually, the answer to that question is no, he wouldn't. But he probably suggests that maybe you should think about it. And why wouldn't he? 
because he still needs his organs. He's alive. And then all of a sudden, you're bringing up the reality of something that was kind of offensive, point out to someone, you know, that was kind of offensive because actually this is a holy God and look what he's done. We use opportunities to talk about Jesus to a world that doesn't understand what real mercy and compassion is all about. That's how we, I think we should see all sorts of manner of things around us. Instead of outrage, and yeah, okay, you can be outraged, you can sign a petition rejecting it, but I'd far more rather lobby groups say, um, talk about Jesus than say, get rid of the video. I think that would be a much better use of lobby group's time. Because actually what matters is not an organ, but your whole life. In that video, the centurions say to Jesus as a throwaway line, yeah, sure, some of us, Jesus, aren't going to eternal paradise, but you could save six or seven people with your organs. Reflect on that for a moment. They're telling (laughs) Jesus, the Lord of all, who is willing to save anyone who wants to trust in him for eternity, hey, Jesus, there's something better. You can give your organs so that six people can live for a little while longer. That doesn't work. Six. 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 (laughs) That's right. They talk about, you know, you can use your eye so people can see. I think the Bible talks about how you know, you, we're blind, but now we can see. Like, see how if we're going to truly live in this world with our new hope living eyes, we actually want people to truly see. And if we just start with outrage and anger to the, to the public world, we're just going to be apathetic towards us, I suspect. Anyway, that's my reflections. Because what I think we're being challenged to do in 1 Peter is to embrace the new birth we have because we have a living hope. What we're going to do after I pray is the band's going to come up and we're going to sing a song called Living Hope. But before we do that, I wanted to ask Jack, because it was his band that did the song, why did you write the song? Because we have a living hope. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't prepare me. Because we have a living hope, why did you want people to think about that? Because we want everyone to be able to rejoice in this reality that we have a future to look forward to uh, with this God who loves us. That's right. You actually get you get a song that points you to a song, in a sense, right? We have living hope, and so we want to embrace this. Let me pray, and then let's sing living hope. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we have living hope in Jesus. Thank you that we can truly trust in him. Father, we want to not just have this living hope for ourselves. We want all, uh, many more people to see that their hope isn't in an organ, but their hope is in that your your son's whole self was given in our place and that he conquered death. We truly thank you for Jesus. Help us to be a thankful, rejoicing people. Amen.